Hi, I'm Tony Mala, and welcome to the ASA Podcast, a program for automotive professionals that helps keep you ahead of what's now, what's new, and what's next in the business of automotive service and collision repair. This podcast is brought to you by the Automotive Service Association, dedicated to driving your success. And we'll be sharing information, insight, and inspiration that will not just help you make a living, it will help you make a difference. Hi, I'm talking today with George Arents, one of the vice presidents at the ASC Education Foundation, about an issue that collision repairs are becoming more and more concerned about. Recently, I've gotten some phone calls about the decline in the number of collision programs going on, especially in the state of Texas that we're finding, but around the country. And I thought it would be a good idea to talk to George, who is well-versed in these things, to find out exactly what's going on and, and how big of an issue it is. So, George, thanks for making the time today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tony. Glad to be here. Let's start out with a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with the ASE Education Foundation. I work with program accreditations, and right now during COVID, we're streamlining the accreditation process, making the process easier. We're creating resources for our field managers in schools to really understand the value of accreditation. You know, some people say, well, it's about paperwork. It's really not. Mm. It's about program improvement and also working to teach industry and education how to talk to each other because they talk two different languages. We're working on those things, revising our automotive tasks. Also, we just earned our own U.S. Department of Labor registered apprenticeship. And we're piloting it in Phoenix, Arizona this summer with potentially 25 apprentices. So we're kind of excited about that, too. Well, you should be. That's great. I didn't know about the apprenticeship program. The accreditation, what's the difference between accreditation and apprenticeship? I know one has to do with the program. The other has to do with the pupils, I believe. Yeah. Program accreditation. It's where the school goes through a self-evaluation process, which includes the instructor, the administration, but most importantly, the industry advisory committee. And it's based on a set of tasks that is created by business and industry once every three years in different levels of accreditation for an entry-level technician. And what it also does is make sure that the school has the resources that it needs to be able to deliver those tasks and skills to the students and make sure the curriculum, the budget, the support for the program and the instructor is there and especially when it comes to tools and equipment. Mm -hmm. An apprenticeship is work-based learning or an internship, what we used to know as a co-op. But with an apprenticeship and an internship, a lot of times we want to use a work-based mentor. And the reason for that is some of the surveys that we've done at ASE, we lose 41% of the students that are entering our industry in the first two years. Wow. And I call that eating our young. Yeah. We're not onboarding them into that shop's culture or that shop doesn't have a positive culture and we're eating these young people alive. And through these apprenticeships, we want to get the students exposed to the workforce before they complete their education and know what they're up against or what they're going to do in our profession. And we're finding that those students that are involved in apprenticeships, internships, or work-based learning, a higher percentage of them are staying with our industry long-term. Mm. So it does work. How many CTE programs are there in the U.S.? When it comes to automotive, it's a moving target. Nobody really knows. I know that we have over 2,200 accredited programs in auto collision and truck. We have, there's some states that mandate accreditation and then some states that don't. Nobody really knows the exact number, but I'm saying it's probably around 
between all three, probably between five and 6,000, maybe a little bit more programs at both the high school and the college level. Hmm. And that's nationwide. Yep. And uh, are those all accredited programs or is that all of them? That's all of them. We have about 2,200 accredited programs across the country. Through COVID and people not being in school, we've had some programs that we're helping with, uh, with extensions and stuff till they can get back into place. But we normally sit between 22 and 2,300 programs. Hmm. A bulk of those programs are mainly automotive and not collision. Uh, I know we want to talk about collision. And based on input I've received from the folks at ICAR and CREFT, the Collision Repair Education Foundation, we're figuring there's between 900 and 1,000 collision programs in this country. ICAR has their curriculum in about 650 or so. We're thinking lately the number's closer to 900 than it is 1,000 because we've got a fair number of programs closing over the last couple of years. And it's, people say it's COVID and it, it's not COVID. It's, it's just flat out low enrollment. That's it. Well, and that's the reason we're having this conversation. I have been getting some calls from our members talking about their local collision programs going away. Yep. Tell me about this problem. This has been something that's been going on for a while, right? How serious is it? It's real serious. And if they're calling you, you've got to ask two questions. One, are they involved in the program? And if they're not, I'm sorry, you're part of the problem. If they are, and they didn't bring other shops to these meetings to show the value of the program to the community, that's a problem also. Mm. And that's where it comes down to. If industry is not involved with the program, you're dealing with nobody in that school district except for that collision instructor knows what he or she is teaching. That's all there is to it. And in administrators, they're looking at numbers. And if you're not enrolling numbers in the program for whatever reason, those programs are going to disappear. And let's be honest, a collision program is expensive. It has a tremendous amount of consumables. Yeah. If it's not filling the classes and it's not producing graduates, they're going to close the program. Yeah. I've even heard of a very prominent private school that had a collision program in Sacramento and they're teaching out and going to do away with the program on campus because of low enrollment. And then some people are also saying low pay. And that's another issue too. Um, here in Texas, we have this place called Bucky's and we all love Bucky's. And when we go to a Bucky's, there's a big sign that says starting pay just to work behind the counter. 13 to $15 an hour, 40 hours a week, 401k, three weeks vacation, you know, use it, bank it, mm -hmm. cash it. That's what we're up against as an industry. You have to understand the other things. And people say, well, there's no real career opportunities at Bucky's. An 18, 19 or 20 year old is not worried about a career. Mm -hmm. They're worried about what are you doing for me today? Is that the main reason they're closing? Just simply low enrollment? Yeah, we're hearing constantly low enrollment. And so our field managers, which we have across the country, since they've been home for a year, we've been trying to work as close with our schools as we can mm -hmm. by communicating with them either by email or by phone. And we're finding that we're trying to contact people that don't exist and they're closing the program. Mm -hmm. We did find out about one in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And the way we did is our field managers work very closely with the ICAR sales team. And I mean, very closely. We work together to help schools. And one of their sales folks wrote an article or was published in an article 
in Cheyenne about the collision program that had been there forever, the community college closing. Well, with our help and engaging business and industry, we got business and industry to use their voice and go to the board members, the dean, the college president, and save that program. About 15, 18 years ago in Victoria, Texas, they were going to close the collision program at their career center. And the night that the school board was going to make the decision, the advisory committee showed up in force and the program still exists. Sometimes industry doesn't understand their power. They're both personal and professional taxpayers in their community. Mm -hmm. And when they show up at a school in numbers, they have a voice. But if they don't show up to those schools and use that voice and get involved in the program, then the only person waving the flag for the program is the instructor. And if there's no marketing that's being done or promotions to engage younger people into the industry, that means there's no enrollment and programs get cut. From my experience, when I sat on a couple of advisory councils throughout my career, I know that the instructors and the school administrators were always pleading for industry to get involved, yep. especially at the local level, because that's how they justify some of the expense. Let's face it, collision programs or any automotive program, there's a cost involved with the equipment that you need and everything else. Right. And everything these days has to be justified. I realize that. But I'm kind of shocked to hear that local industry, as much as we talk about, you know, having the shortage of technicians, you say that it's really a lack of involvement from the collision shops that is something that we need to address as well, right? I addressed this to the heavy duty folks a few years back, but we have a national concern with a local solution, get involved. Mm -hmm. And everybody that's listening to us today, that's in the collision industry, if you don't know where your local program is, but more importantly, you're not involved in your local program. That's the problem. It's not somebody else's job to go to those meetings. It's yours or send a representative from your organization. Especially if you have a graduate from that program, you want to send that person. Former students in an advisory committee is a very powerful individual because they walk the halls and now they're in the workplace and they can make recommendations or suggestions to the schools of how that transition between education and the workplace could be smoother and maybe some of the resources that that program needs. But it comes down to involvement and also letting the students know who you and your company are. Mm-hmm. Tony, you got your brand. I've got my brand. Right. But if these students don't know who your body shop is or your collision repair facility is or any of that on career day, you're just another table with trinkets. You have to engage in those students. And with all the things that happened with COVID this year, it created an environment for us to remotely talk to students and be guest speakers without ever leaving our offices or our homes. And those companies that took advantage of those are wreaking the benefits right now that students graduated in May, whether it's from a community college or from high school, and they're getting those young people. Up until last year, I said we didn't have a technician shortage. We had a shortage of qualified applicants. And the way I validated that is I asked most employers, do you have a shortage of applicants or you just have a bunch of unqualified? And 90% said unqualified. But last year, we saw a major shift in student enrollment in collision programs. And with the help of Kyle Holt and the folks at SP2, the Safety Environmental Training, every fall, they do a query for me to tell me how many auto collision and truck students across the country have used their safety training. Now, mind you, their product's not in every school, 
but it's the gauge I've been using for years to validate that we don't have a lack of interest in our industry. We just have a lack of qualified applicants. And last year, even through COVID, we had an increase of automotive students about 1.9%, diesel 2.1%, collision, we were down 36%. Wow. That's a huge number in one swoop year. And when we did the deeper dive, we found those programs don't exist anymore. Hmm. And when you've got a program that could be traditionally able to hold 40, 50, or 60 students a year, you do the math. It doesn't take many of those programs to go away when all of a sudden that pipeline is gone. Are we seeing any impacts now out in the industry? Obviously, I'm getting calls from not just collision shops and mechanical shops as well. Everyone's concerned about where we're going to find the talent we need. But it sounds like this is a five-alarm fire on the collision side if we're losing that many students. It is. And some employers, when you talk to them, they don't recruit out of schools. They have their own way of recruiting and they find non-traditional people and they train themselves. It's those employers that traditionally were using education, but maybe not involved directly, but they would be able to get a student here or there. All of a sudden, those programs are gone. On the automotive side, no, we're not dealing with that. In Texas alone last year, are you ready for this? At the high school level, we had over 20,000 students taking auto technology in the state of Texas last year alone, all by itself. Mm. That doesn't sound like a shortage to me, but what we found is that the higher level courses in high school, we had a huge drop-off and the drop-off was over 50%. And everybody wants to give their reasons. We just did a survey, a student survey across the country, and we had found that one of the biggest reasons for students not taking the next automotive class in their high school was they didn't see a defined career path. Mm. That's shame on us. That's completely shame on us. Yeah. And that's a problem. And on the collision side, it's even larger. Yeah. That's where the problem lies. So those that are listening, if you have a community college or a high school or both in your community or in your county, you need to get involved with them immediately. And they could be in trouble right now. Uh, They're just not on the chopping block yet. But once these programs are gone, they're never coming back because administrators are converting those facilities to something else and they're never going to make that investment again. The other thing that we have that the programs are going is their hobby shops. Yeah. If you walk in a collision shop and they're not working on ICAR curriculum and they're not working on skills or tasks that are of value to business and industry, and they're either restoring old cars or just storing old cars and they're just working on whatever, that also affects enrollment. My Spanish teacher from high school was a pretty sharp guy and he said, water seeks its own level. You are who you associate with. Mm-hmm. And if these students enter these collision programs and are not learning or being challenged, they're going to tell other people. And that does affect enrollment too. You know, and I've said if whether you're an automotive collision or whatever program, if a car has been in there long enough that it gets its mail there, that's a problem. Yeah. Especially in a high school with the skill sets we want them to learn in high school, a vehicle should not be in that shop on the worst case scenario a week. It also is not personal storage for the instructor, but for some reason they do think it. 
and that eliminates the, the amount of space that the students can actually work on true hands-on activities. So it's kind of a combination of both. We need a much higher degree of training. Oh, God, yes. In all segments of the marketplace. Unbelievable. Yeah, the technology alone is just incredible. And in many of the cases, there aren't any, I don't think there's any systems left that don't have at least one electronic component attached to them. Even parking brakes these days are electronic, it seems. Tony, you make a great point. We, and I was an automotive instructor and technician, Mm -hmm. we as automotive technicians, every part is where it's supposed to be. And all we need to do is go look up the information. Mm -hmm. When that car has been wrecked or damaged, those parts aren't anywhere where they need to be. (laughs) And they're compromised. So a collision tech's job is much harder, in my opinion, than ours, because everything's where it's supposed to be, the heart, the lungs, and all the other stuff. The same thing on a car, but no, yeah. we don't sometimes promote that part of the industry. And also, if we're not willing to compensate, that's a problem too. And I really don't want to get into that. But mm-hmm. sometimes employers expect these entry level folks to be productive first day on the job. Well, that's never going to happen in my lifetime. It's not. Not a one of us were productive first day on the job, but we can't expect it of these young people. We have to onboard them into the culture. That's so true. And, you know, it's more more than that. You not only have to onboard them into the culture, but you have to be committed to developing them along the way. Agreed. There's an old saying, you know, the, the educational system has us for the first 12 years. Industry has us for the next 40. If you're going to be involved in any segment of the automotive industry or truck industry, for that matter, you are going to be committing to training for the rest of your career because things are changing that quickly. And then let's look at the makeup. People talk about millennial and Gen Z and they, they talk bad. Well, guess what? When we were teenagers, they talked bad about us too. <laughs> you know, and to me, we're just the gray hairs and the no hairs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we believe in certain things. Now, our generation, we live to work. Yeah. And this generation, they work to live and maybe they got it right. And many of us, we were brought up, mom and dad had the same last name and mom stayed at home and we had one car. That's not the family environment today. And many young people are looking for that family connection in the workplace. And if you can't provide that for them, they're going to go find somebody who can. This group is loyal as long as you treat them that way. But if you don't, they're done with you and they're done with you pretty quick. Yeah. Earlier, I talked about 41% leaving in the first two years. That's a solid number. Three years ago, it was 42%. Wow, we move 1%. But a high percentage of those individuals are not leaving the trades. They're leaving us. So they're going into other trades. They're still working with their hands. They're just not working with us. That's sad. That's scary, actually. And it is not a new problem. You have to have benefits to get in the game. It's like having quality if you're going to build something. Yep. People expect that regardless. Mm -hmm. But I spent some time talking to students, uh, a lot of time talking to students, as a matter of fact about what they expect in an employer. And they're looking for the same level of loyalty that you're describing. Right. But again, it's all about having the right culture in place that you do appreciate the value of the individuals that you have. And again, you take the time to develop them. That's even more important now because I think individuals, if there is such a thing as job security anymore, I would believe it's got to be in the trades. It is. Some things, as you said, just can't be offshored. The other thing is, is your shop environment caustic Hmm. or is it open to taking it bringing on a young person and what i tell people if you can't see your children or grandchildren working in your shop neither can i and mentoring is not eight o'clock monday morning telling billy 
we got this new kid starting. Make sure he doesn't die. That's not mentoring. The selection of the mentor is probably the most important thing that you will ever do. And then training that mentor to work with that individual. If you do that correctly, you will grow your own workforce and you're not going to lose people. And the people that are doing the mentoring are going to feel really good about what they're doing also because they're giving back to an industry that's been good to them. But you've got to set the culture. Well, you know, we've always had a tradition, I guess, is the way to describe it in the mechanical repair industry of, quote, growing our own, unquote. Well, that was a whole lot easier when vehicles were basically mechanical animals. Yep. Nowadays, those things are right out the window. You really can't get by. On-the-job training won't cut it. Nope. Having a proper compensation program is important. People need to eat. Let's face it. They want to raise their families. Yep. We're not having the same challenges in all segments of the transportation industry. I, the truck market seems to be doing okay. What are they doing that we're not or that we're missing? So, and I'll be honest with you, I, I truly believe the truck folks see and understand the value of a reasonable compensation right up front. Mm-hmm. They believe in training. They believe in a lot of them are doing onboarding or mentoring or apprenticeships. They're doing all of those different things in those companies and making them feel like they're part of the family. Mm-hmm. They're making sure that when they come to work for that company, like you said, they can pay the bills, they can eat, and they can do a few things on their personal time. Also, a lot of the fleets, as the technicians earn their ASEs, they increase their hourly pay based on each ASE they earn. So there's incentives. So whether you worked for that company for six months or 20 years, you can get a pay grade by passing one or more ASE tests. So they put in systems into their process for people to grow. That's all there is to it. You've been involved with them before. Mm Mm-hmm. They're doing a better job. And let's be honest, there's a whole lot less medium heavy duty truck programs around the country than there is auto and collision. So guess what they're doing? They're coming and poaching on these programs too. And it's working for them. So why would we want to train these young people and be involved in a program to have them go somewhere else? But we have to get involved. Administrators need to know what goes on in a collision shop. When have you ever opened your doors and had a students or instructor or administrators tour? Here in Houston, we used to have one advisory committee meeting a year at a school I chaired at the local businesses. Mm -hmm. And every year, a different business would host it. I took the educators out of their comfort zone and put them into our comfort zone. And it was amazing how much that they learned just being at that dealership or that place of business for that hour and a half because people don't know what they don't know. And it's our responsibility to educate the educators of who we are and what we have to offer. Well, and we have a lot to offer. We do. And there's a lot of opportunities available in in all segments of this marketplace. Yep. Well, it sounds to me like one of the biggest challenges we have, especially for the collision shops who are worried about not being able to find the talent they need is to get involved. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm a collision shop owner. I just heard this podcast. I'm thinking, you know what? You're right. I want to get involved. Who do I contact? Where do I go? So I'm more than willing to help any shop owner. And then if they're not in Texas, we have a state manager here in Texas. His name's Matt Northrup. Great guy. Mm-hmm. But we have them across the country. And our folks can help you get in touch with your schools. If you go to ASEeducationfoundation.org, in the top, it says find a program. You put in a zip code. 
tells you where the programs are. Even if there's not a collision program in your community, if there's an automotive program, you may have a kid that wants to work for you, but it's not offered. So they took automotive. Mm-hmm. Don't get discouraged and not get involved. Also, we can help you get in touch with the ICAR reps across the country. And once again, they're impacting 650 collision programs. And then the folks at Kreft, Brendan Eckenrode does an amazing job. Mm-hmm. We can put you in touch with him with some of the schools he's working with, with scholarships and stuff. All you got to do is reach out to us and say, hey, can you help? Mm-hmm. If you can't find the school, let us try to help you find the school in your area and a point of contact to get involved. And that's what it takes. Is it going to be easy? No, if it was easy, everybody would be already doing it. It's going to take some work, but you're trying to grow your business. And the only way to do that is to find new talent. Most of us have already realized that if we go for the experience, folks, sometimes they come with baggage and we don't know how much or when it's going to show up. But entry level, think about this. The only bad habits they learn are the ones you teach them, you know, and you can live with those. And you've got a young person that's already made an investment in their education, whether it's high school or college. They've made some investment. Take them under your wing and grow them. Well, our future depends on it for one thing. Yes. And the alarming decline in collision programs is something that has to be addressed Final question. I know you're busy. I don't want to keep you all day, but is the collision industry writ large aware of this problem by and large? And are we, is there any programs in place or any attempts to address this? Or is this something that, that we need to kind of do for ourselves? So myself and a lady, great lady named Beth Ruddard, we addressed CIC back in, I think in January at one of their meetings. Mm-hmm. We did a group with uh, Walt Cummings in the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. with their collision folks. And there's been some articles written. And the reason you're probably hearing about it is people are hearing this rumbling, you know, whether it's from stuff we're doing or other people are doing, but people are realizing it. And all of a sudden now somebody's waking up and going, wait, there used to be a collision program down the block and it's gone. One of the positive things that are going on right now is the state of Mississippi is the first state ever to mandate that all of their collision programs are ASE accredited. Mm -hmm. Now we've had it on the mechanical side by many states for many years, but Mississippi is the first one to mandate it of all of their collision programs, which are around 16. They have put together a statewide advisory committee and they're looking for more industry input. What do they want? They want to hear from business and industry. What's important to you? What are the entry level skills you want their programs to teach? What a concept. Yeah. If you come in, your voice is going to be heard. You just got to be there. Yeah. The world is run by those who show up, right? That's right. I can attest personal experience as just how important it is mm-hmm. for industry to be involved with their local, local career and technology education program. Agreed. ASEeducationfoundation.com, was it, or .org? .org. My email is very simple, George.Arrens, A-R-R-A-N-T-S at aseeducation.org. Reach out to me. Right up there in the on our website at the top where it says find a program, right next to it says find a rep. It has a map. Scroll down. It's got their phone number, their email addresses. We're here to help. Whether the program's accredited or not, the ICAR folks, the CREF folks, and the ASE Education Foundation folks, we are all working together for the same common goal, and that's to get young people the education they need to enter the workforce. That's it. 
that's what we're here to do. And you need the help of the shops themselves. So that's one of the reasons we're having the conversation. That's it. Well, George, thank you. This has been great. A little scary, but I think that's the reason we're having the conversation because this is something that is going to accelerate quickly into a much larger problem if we don't take steps to address it. So would you mind keeping us posted on developments as we go forward? And we'll, uh, we'll circle back with you from time to time to kind of get a feel for where we are and where we're going. Tony would love to. And then in the fall, when school starts back up, through our field managers, we can find out when these advisory committee meetings are going to be mm-hmm. and potentially help people that are still kind of scared of taking the first step, learning of when these meetings are and they could possibly attend. During COVID, since we had a lot of virtual meetings, people were able to attend virtually and now they want to get more involved. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. I'm more than happy to keep everybody involved and also help them with the first step in introducing them to a school or a program that they want to be involved with. Uh, As we said, our future depends on it. So yes, sir. Well, George, I want to thank you for your time today. We have been talking with George Arantz, Vice President of the ASE Education Foundation on a growing problem of the decline in collision programs around the country. Again, George, thanks for your time today. This has been priceless and we will be talking again. Tony, thank you. Thanks everybody. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.